0: All right. We're going to do a little poll. You ready? Just the poll. I just ask for your honesty. Who stayed up last night? Who was up till midnight? Okay. All right. Good. So that means the rest of you went to bed before midnight. That's all right. That's all right. Um, Who was doing fireworks last night? Firecrackers, fireworks. Okay. Because good night. Everybody was doing it. Yeah. It was something, Um, which to me means if you're on the fence about staying up late, just, just embrace it, because you're not going to sleep while well the racket, you know what I mean? So, who here makes New Year's resolutions? Who you every year, let's just do this, this one year, have you made resolutions yet? Show of hands. New Year's resolutions, all right. Okay, who makes them, this is going to be even short, a smaller number, but who makes New Year's resolutions every year? Who typically makes New Year's resolutions but just hasn't done it yet? Nobody. Perfect. Well, I'm glad you're here. (laughs) Because that's what we're going to talk about today. So, I I spent way too much time searching the internet about New Year's resolutions. Oh, my goodness. There's such garbage out there, but let me share some uh, highlights with you. (laughs) So, some of the top New Year's resolutions, these these are the silly ones, but... I don't even know what to say, from country living, um, to, uh, to order every beverage off the Starbucks menu, uh, to flamingo a friend's yard for their birthday, which us Floridians appreciate, right, Crystal? Just to work time will tell into a conversation once a week. Where does this come from? To build and to work off a bucket list of things that you want to do. All right, that's not too bad. Here's the most common, though, from good housekeeping. Number one, to build a better budget. Every year, this is, this is what surveys say that we make as New Year's resolutions. Number two, to practice mindfulness. Not sure what that means, but to practice mindfulness. Uh, number three, to cook something each week, right? Versus eating out or, or whatever, to cook something. Okay, that's not bad. Uh, number four, I like this one, to read more books, Number five, to create a cleaning schedule you'll stick to. (laughs) Oh, and the top quote from yesterday, I promise not to make any more bad jokes this year, said a dad on New Year's Eve. Honestly, my search for funny New Year's resolutions was quite disappointing. That's the best I could come up with. (laughs) So it's no wonder that we make these New Year's resolutions and don't ever keep them, right? It's just the way... They're notorious, frankly. New Year's resolutions are notorious for setting them and failing to keep them, what, within... I mean, if we're talking exercise, don't raise your hand. Um, It's usually within seven to ten days, and it's over, right? I am going to eat better, and I'm going to exercise more. Um, It's just disappointing. I even found some Star Wars-themed resolutions... If you're wondering, you can email me uh, to, because you have to look at the pictures and memes. But to trust in people more, to humble yourself, to adopt a droid, admit your mistakes, be more forgiving, be more patient, choose your own path, and take risks, all from the Star Wars series. Yeah, that's right, New Year's resolutions. But as a Christ follower, as a Christ follower, I'm here to challenge us with what I hope will be an encouragement as we kick off a new year. This is more of a topical message, so if you have your copy of God's Word, um, have it handy or turn it on, we're going to be reflecting on what the Lord has done uh, in our lives over the past year and looking expectantly forward to a new year filled with anticipation of continued blessing and provision and growth. It's my favorite time of the year to just pause and to reflect on what God has done and to set goals for the new year. So I'm going to purposely avoid the New Year's resolutions language. You're welcome to do that. And I've even got a little handout sheet. So we're going to pull this up here in a few minutes. Uh, You should have received one when you came in. So have that handy and a copy of God's word. This morning, it'll be a topical message. Our habit here at Sunrise is to take a book of the Bible. I'm really excited about uh, Pastor Allen's upcoming series through Ephesians. What a rich, rich epistle. Um, this morning, I want to challenge us for the next few minutes to live with intentionality and to live with purpose in the spirit of Ephesians five, fifteen through 16, which says, Look carefully, then, how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for 2022, a year of blessing and growth, certainly not without pain or suffering or difficulty, but we praise your name. And now as we look expectantly to 2023, we dedicate this year to you, that we would serve and advance your kingdom and to bring glory to your name. Father, may this message this morning challenge us to greater faithfulness, to love and good deeds, that we would be counted faithful servants, as your scripture calls us to. Thank you for the word that you've revealed yourself to us and that we can learn from and be changed by. Amen. Every year that we have on this earth is a gift, right? Every year is a gift. Life is a gift. There's no guarantee of another day. James 4.14 says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Kind of like the fog that we've been enjoying for the last couple of days, right? By midday, maybe by late morning, it's gone. Well, I want to take you back in history. I love history. I'm a student of history, just an armchair historian. Don't check out quite yet with that introduction, but I want to share with you the life of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest American preachers. He lived for about 55 years in New England and really left his mark on Christianity in America through his life, his writings, Uh, Note uh, Religious Affections, if you've never read that, pick up a copy of that, and his preaching. He was a Puritan Puritan pastor, excuse me, born on October 5th, 1703. His dad was a preacher, Timothy Edwards and his mother Esther uh, in East Windsor, Connecticut. Sounds cold. Educated by his father, he went to Yale in 1716 at the age of 13 years old. He graduated in 1720 and went on to study theology for a couple more years. Interestingly, Edwards didn't become a Christian. He didn't come to faith in Christ until the spring of 1721. He said, I was brought to that new sense of things, to an inward sweet delight in God and divine things quite different from anything I'd ever experienced before. I began to have a new kind of apprehensions and ideas of Christ and the work of redemption and the glorious way of salvation by him. One of Edwards' greatest contributions was his role in the Great Awakening through the preaching sermons such as justification by faith and sinners in the hands of an angry God. And then as revival broke out in New England, Edwards would travel and preach and he saw many come to faith in Christ at the age of 18, Edwards served for eight months. Now, keep in mind, he's this small-town kid, and he's served for eight months in New York City. At the time, a bustling metropolis of uh, only 10,000 people or so. And uh, it was around this time that he started to keep a diary, and he began to pen his famous resolutions. Has anyone heard of Jonathan Edwards' New Year's resolution, or not New Year's, just his resolutions, excuse me. See, I'm programmed. Don't worry, he wrote 70 of them, and I'm not going to read them all to you, but you might be interested in reading those at some point. So keep in mind, New York City, 18 years old, 70 resolutions. I'm going to read just a couple for you as a sampling, but as a a precursor, a prelude to those resolutions, he wrote this being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. And he purposed to read these 70 resolutions once a week for the rest of his life, which we have no reason to believe that he didn't. Edwards is resolving If you read the 70, he's resolving to live a life that counts. Here's resolution number one. Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit, and pleasure in the whole of my duration, without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so many myriads of ages hence, resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolved to do this, whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great soever. Number six, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Number 13, resolved to be endeavoring to find out fit objections of charity and liberality. One more for you, number 62 resolved never to do anything but duty, and then according to Ephesians 6, 6 through 8, to do it willingly and cheerfully as unto the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good thing any man doth, the same shall he receive from the Lord. You know, all throughout these resolutions of Jonathan Edwards is a theme. It's a theme of biblical stewardship, biblical stewardship, well, that's an interesting term. Maybe you think about this from time to time. What is biblical stewardship? Stewardship is tied closely to economics and management of resources. Stewardship is rooted in creation of mankind. Do you remember this charge from Genesis one twenty six? God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. That's kind of your stewardship language there over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This word dominion means control, command, authority. Adam and Eve were appointed by God as vice regents to manage his creation. They were there to act in his name and for his glory. Also at creation, the mandate that God gave To humanity was for people to reflect and mirror God's stewardship over his creation. It involves far more than religious enterprises to the church. All of this is coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ our entire life. You know, it's kind of human nature to compartmentalize our lives, right? Oh, we worship God on Sundays, but what about Monday through Saturday? See, the lordship of God The kingship of God, he's calling all of us to worship in every aspect of our lives, right? We're going to talk a little bit about stewardship here, and I'm going to give you some challenges as you assess yourself and set goals for the new year. R.C. Sproul said, Stewardship is about exercising our God-given dominion over his creation, reflecting the image of our creator God in his care, responsibility, maintenance, protection, and beautification of his creation. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans fourteen. Romans fourteen seven through twelve. Romans fourteen seven through twelve. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both over the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Remember, we were just reading about that in that hymn a couple songs ago. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So that's verse 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So what's driving Jonathan Edwards? What's driving him is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that fact that we actually, not just us, but all 8 billion people on the planet will one day come into the great white throne room and we will come into God's presence and we will give an account of our lives for those who are following Christ and those who are not. John Piper says, You will stand before the judgment seat of God, just as Paul stood before the judgment seat, the Bema of Gallio in Corinth, and just as he stood before the judgment seat of Festus at Caesarea, so you and I will stand before the judgment seat of the creator of the universe. You are not a statistic. You were created personally by God for a reason and you will give an account of how you fulfilled his purpose for you on fulfilled his purpose for you on earth namely to trust him and to love him and obey him and display his excellence in the world you will give an individual account to God Did you know Revelation 20 there's two books There's the book of life and then there's a book of deeds Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Now, this is a good time to mention, as we talk about this book of life, that we, as Bible-believing, gospel-loving Christians, do not believe that your works can save you. So what I'm calling us to today, I'm really addressing those in the room who, who are already in Christ, who are following Christ. So I'm challenging you to love and good deeds But I have to mention this because this is an error made throughout all of human history, and frankly, it's a part of our human tendency that I can do these things and stand before God and say, look at my good works. I did these things. Can I come into your kingdom? But that's not, my friend, how we're saved. We're saved by the grace of God. Turn with me to Ephesians 2, quick sampling, because we're going to be here with Pastor Allen in the coming months, but Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, to make this point, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, for by grace, by the way, the whole chapter is fantastic, so I'm just giving you a quick sampling, but by, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that anyone may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this talk about stewardship, giving an account, book of deeds, we're created unto good works, and faithfulness makes me think of the parable of the talents. Remember this? Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 25. I told you we're going to jump around here. Matthew 25, parable of the talents. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. This is a great passage. Jesus is speaking, of course. Matthew 25:14 For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property to one he gave 5 talents to another 2 to another 1 to each according to his ability then he went away He who had received the 5 talents went at once and traded with them and he made 5 talents more So also he who had the 2 talents made 2 talents more And he also went to the two talents, uh, to, and he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, "'Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more.' And his master said to him, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master.'" He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered, scattered no seed, Then you ought to have invested my money. With the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received that what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and he gave it to him who had ten talents. For to everyone who has has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. So here in this passage, we see a rich man. He's delegated the management of his wealth to servants, similar to investors today. He gave five talents, which was a large sum of money at the time to the first servant. And to the second, he gave uh, two and and one talent to the third. Two of those servants earned 100% returns by trading the funds. The third hides or hoards the money in the ground, yielding nothing. Of course, the rich man returns the master and he rewards the two who made money and severely punishes the servant who did nothing. What's the meaning here? Far more than financial investments, God has given each person time, talents, and treasure to be employed in his service. It is unacceptable to place those resources on a shelf and ignore them. The point is, to use our resources to advance God's purposes and, not, and are not limited to financial investments. In the end, the master praises the two trustworthy servants with the words, well done, good, and trustworthy slave is the original language. From this commendation, we see that God cares about results, well done. He cares about the method, good. And he cares about the motivation, trustworthy. It also suggests an element of risk, right? That's a different message. I want to challenge us this morning with this concept of stewardship. And I want to cause us to think about three categories of life, three categories of life that we just mentioned here. And if you've got your little assessment, you can get that ready. We're going to do that in just a second. But think about your time, think about your talent, and think about your treasure. So as we look to 2023, I'm giving you three categories because this category of stewardship and life, it's just going to all be overwhelming. Where do I start, right? Three areas. Time. Arguably, our most valuable asset. And I don't know know about you, but sometimes I take that one for granted. When we talk about time, I'm not talking merely about advocating for greater productivity, although clearly that's important. Maybe for some of us, we need a challenge to be more productive. Maybe for others, we need a time of greater reflection or Sabbath or rest or spending time with the Lord. So as you think about your time, I want you to think about, and maybe this is where you can start taking notes on your piece of paper. So this would be on the one side that says 2023 goals. You see time, talent, and treasure. Maybe identify one thing in this time category that you would stop doing and identify another thing related to time that you would start doing. You with me? Stop. Start. How do we know where to spend our time? First, evaluate your most important relationships. Then consider work, calling, economics, and other opportunities that God has placed in your life. We use calling, our priorities, and relationships to answer the question of faithfulness, which is certainly different for each one of us in this room, just as it was different for the three servants in Matthew 25. As a follower of Christ, of course, the great commission should be a priority, evangelism and discipleship. Remember Colossians 1.28. The goal of discipleship is that we present everyone complete in Christ. And one other caveat as we're talking about time. Remember, not every good opportunity that comes your way means that you should take it. There could be a host of alternative decisions, including delay, decline, or delegate, right? Jonathan Edwards said in resolution number 17, Resolve that I will live so I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Number two, talent. Now this term talent really comes from the talents, which was the value of money. But today we think of talents as our giftings, maybe our education, our experience, opportunities. Friend, are you deploying your gifting to serve the Lord? Perhaps these are on display in your job or career. Great. Press on. Work heartily under the Lord. Colossians three, twenty three and twenty four. Some other considerations, maybe you need to serve in your church, maybe in a volunteer capacity, considering how you can use your skills and abilities outside of your profession or your career. Maybe if you're not sure what your giftings are, consider taking a test like a strength finder or asking those who are closest to you, what am I good at? How has God wired me? Not always 100% accurate, but what do I enjoy doing? could be helpful in understanding how God has gifted you. For more reading on time, I wanted to give you some additional reading. Check out Jordan Rainer's Redeeming Your Time. And about talent, uh, my pastor from Louisville, Kentucky, wrote a great book called The Gospel at Work. So we're talking about these three categories, time, talent, and the third one is treasure. Obviously, this is your wealth, your money, your other assets. This could be a home, a vehicle, vacation property, and more. Of course, the Bible talks about giving a tithe, often referred to as 10%, but it also talks about giving generously, sacrificially, and with joy. Turn with me to Exodus 35. Exodus 35, as we talk about treasure, this third category to consider for faithfulness. Exodus 35. I thought this was really interesting. So this is the passage where the Israelites are contributing to the needs of the tabernacle. So I'm just going to do a sampling, starting in chapter th- Exodus 35, verse 5. These are just highlights. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. And then in verse 21, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him— and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for all its holy garments. So it's interesting the spirit stirred in them this generosity. And then in verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. And finally, in six five, this is interesting. The people, they brought so much. They brought more than enough for doing the work that the Lord commanded us to do, and Moses had to tell them to stop bringing. Just remarkable at their generosity. You know, it's grace and not duty that motivates us to give. We want to give generously, right, with a cheerful spirit not with compulsion or out of guilt. And this is why we as Christians reflect on what God has done for us. And we remember that the treasure that God's given us is really not ours, but we're managing it for God, right? That's that word stewardship. All right, we're still turning. Everybody with me? 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9. We're just jumping around the scriptures as a good topical message. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. This is a principle we see throughout Scripture. The point is this, verse 6, "'Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully.'" Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness." You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Have you ever heard this term, first fruits? Listen, I'm a city slicker. First fruits. This is an agricultural term. I had to go look it up. But it's interesting. I've been working with a friend of mine who manages a large farm in California, and I've been realizing more and more what first fruits really mean. So apparently what happens is they take the best, the first round of fruit, they come kind of think of it in phases when a harvest comes in, right? So we're talking fruit, literally fruit in California. And they would take the very, very best fruit. And they have these fascinating uh, machines that actually take like a thousand pictures in a matter of seconds of every single piece of fruit. And the computer is able to identify any imperfections or issues with this fruit. Now, obviously they didn't have this 2,000 years ago, but fascinating that the best fruit that you would find, which is going to end up in your, you know, the more premium supermarkets, um, has gone through this incredible process. And this is all happening in a matter of seconds with this super complicated um, system of conveyor belts and cameras and machines that are all identifying first fruits. And then you've got kind of a second phase and third phase all the way down to the fourth ones, which ends up, you know, in your smoothies and your frozen fruits and, and so forth. But the first fruits from an agricultural term is really the best. This is the highest quality. So when we're called to honor the Lord with our first fruits, it's not sloppy seconds. It's the very, very best. We see this in Proverbs 3 9 through 10, honoring the Lord with our first fruits. And we see Christ as a sacrifice. The, the, the hymn that we were just singing, talking about sacrifice, he was a first fruit of sorts. God sending his only son as a first fruit, 1 Corinthians 15 23. Edward said, resolved to be endeavoring to find out fit objects of charity and liberality. Number 13. Check out the treasure principle for more reading on treasure by Randy Alcorn. All right, it's assignment time. Grab your pieces of paper. You should be thinking through your time, talent, and treasure, but maybe before you complete that, flip it over to that personal assignment page. And I've given you just a series of questions that you might ask yourself. Don't worry. You don't have to turn this in. No one's going to grade you. We're out of school today. But I want to challenge you to not just now, but maybe take this and over the next week, reflect on some of these questions. What is your purpose or life mission? How would you rate your relationship with the Lord? How has God gifted me? What are your, ta- your talents, experiences, education, and how are you stewarding these? What are the most important relationships in your life? What do you want to be known for? Now, that could be dangerous for some of us who, are, who struggle with fear of man. But it is a helpful gauge to ask the question, what is your reputation? What does it mean for you, friend, to be faithful? And what is the greatest obstacle to your growth? If you didn't get one of these forms, I'm glad to share it with you afterwards or email you a copy. So once you've answered those questions, then you want to flip it over to your 2023 goals, and I'm giving you some things to think about just as you reflect and set some of these goals for the new year. Think about your time, think about your talent, think about your treasure, and ask the question in each of those categories, what does it mean for you to be faithful? Don't worry about your friend or your family or whomever. This is about you. What's one thing you can do today to work towards these goals? What is one relationship that you need to mend or to seek forgiveness, right? It's a broken world. There's constantly sin in interpersonal relationships. And so think about at least one relationship where you need to initiate forgiveness. Who's the one person you need to pray for? Feel free to add. I just want to keep it simple because if you can just do this one thing and go and pray for that person, mission accomplished. And where do you need to reorient your priorities, in asking and answering the question, what does faithfulness look like? How do you need to reorient your priorities? Paul wrote that he was being poured out, poured out as a drink offering. We see a glimpse of the mystery of God at work in us and also our call to work. As an act of worship, he was poured out. And this symbolized this pouring out, a dedication, a dedication, of the person in worship to God. Now, some of you are here today, and maybe you're not in Christ. And so some of this stuff is foreign drink offerings, sacrifice, working, faithfulness under the Lord, salvation by grace. And you're thinking, what in the world is this guy talking about? Well, friend, today your reflection should be why are you on this earth? What is your purpose in life? What do you do with the pain and suffering and trials and difficulties of life? My hope is that you will recognize that you were created for the single purpose of worshiping God. Now, because of Genesis 3, right, we worship fill in the blank, anything and everything. But it's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that reorients our life to do what we were created to do, and that's to worship God. So, today, friend, if you're not a Christian, I'd ask you to use that same goal and petition and pledge, make a New Year's resolution to read your Bible. Maybe find a Christian here in the room or one of our pastors to ask your questions, but don't let this time pass. Allow it to prompt personal reflection to ask: if you die today, where would you go? Maybe, maybe you are in Christ and your relationship with the Lord. Is cold. Maybe there's sin that you need to deal with. Don't let another day go by. It's the Bible that has the answers to life's most difficult questions and challenges. It's the Bible that communicates this good news. That's why we come here week in and week out and we study our Bibles, because this is how God has revealed himself to us. During Jonathan Edwards' travels during the Great Awakening, a young teenager, Deborah Hathaway wrote him asking for advice about how to live the Christian life. Edwards replied in this letter, In all your course, walk with God and follow Christ as a poor, little, helpless child, taking hold of Christ's hand, keeping your eye on the mark of the wounds on his hand and his side. Why? Because it reminds us of the greatest sacrifice the gospel. Jonathan Edwards died in March 1758. He was about 55 years old. His wife, Sarah, was not with him when he passed away. So Dr. William Shippen, the same doctor, by the way, who'd given him this lethal dose of smallpox, that, was, uh, that ended up killing him. Dr. William Shippen wrote this letter to Jonathan's wife, Sarah, this afternoon between two and three, it pleased God to let him sleep in that dear Lord Jesus, whose kingdom and interest he has been faithfully and painfully serving all of his life. And never did any mortal man more fully and clearly evidence the sincerity of all of his professions by one continued universal calm, cheerful resignation, and patient submission to the divine will through every stage of his disease. Not he, not so much as one discontented express, nor the least appearance of murmuring through the whole. Sarah, Jonathan's wife, wrote to her daughter, my very dear child, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness that we had him, her husband, so long. But my God lives, and he has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We are all given to God, and there I am and love to be. An alternate title for this morning's sermon, besides Resolved, would be Next Faithful Steps. Next Faithful Steps, to quote a friend of mine, Brad Taunton. We in this room may not be the next Jonathan Edwards. He left us a great example. And there's many other heroes of the faith that we can look and learn from. But many of us will die and no one will know our names but those closest to us. And so maybe the sermon title today should be Next Faithful Steps, not to be and grow to become some famous preacher like Jonathan Edwards. But we can certainly learn from examples like his and his life. And praise God for what God did in his life. And we can learn from it. So as we start a new year, may we consider our calling to walk worthy, to be counted a good and faithful slave, so that when we stand before the Lord sitting on the great white throne, may we be counted faithful. Sure, we can set New Year's resolutions, exercise more, eat better, or whatever, but I want to challenge us with not something that will fade away in the next seven to ten days, but something that has eternal significance. Let's be resolved this year to long for and love the second appearing of Jesus Christ and to live this year in light of his imminent return. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, in closing, we dedicate this year to serving you. Thank you for your church. Thank you for sunrise. Thank you for your gift of salvation. Thank you for the dear saints here who come week in and week out to learn, to grow, to celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ, to worship you, the one true and living God, the creator, sustainer of the universe. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you and to be a part of your work. Help us, Lord. Strengthen us. We pray that you would use us for your glory and the advancement of your kingdom. Amen.